episode of Unconventional Engineering is powered by Twinify, the digital twin solution built to unlock the value of your data. So hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unconventional Engineering. I'm Tom Costabile, ASME's Executive Director and CEO, and my co-host today is Jay Flores, STEM ambassador and founder of Invent the Change. Jay, how are you? I'm doing well today. I'm excited to be here with you and I've been on the road for a while out there with some students and now it's great to have a conversation that might be able to inspire and engage them. That's great. I've been watching you and keeping track of you on the internet. I see you're all over the place and you've got some exciting stuff coming up. So again, appreciate what you're doing with STEM. I can tell you in my case, Every time I get a chance to do anything with students, I come back, I can light the city with the energy that comes out of that day. Yes. So I admire and thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate that and, and you as well. And so speaking of that energy, I know that here on Unconventional Engineering, our goal is to shine a light on those who have applied their engineering skills and background in a variety of unique ways. And that central theme around engineering being this lifelong journey of learning and how career paths can take on these different paths. So I'm really excited to get into that today. You know, Jay, I'm glad you said that because if I just look at your career and my career, not to mention the career of uh, our, our guest today, uh, it's so true. It's so true. Absolutely. And our guest today is yet another example of this unique phenomenon. Her career journey has included senior positions in manufacturing at Ford Motor Company and Honeywell as well as a lead role on Google's automotive services team. She has also served as CEO for Sense Photonics, a 3D vision company, and is a renowned consultant to both tech and automotive executives. Please welcome Shauna McIntyre. Great. Well, thank you, Jay. Appreciate the invitation. So, Shauna, welcome. But before we talk a little bit about this, uh, you know, I, I have a love of life of sports, and I understand that you're a big football fan. So my question <laughs> is, is it college, professional, or both? I guess it's got to be college. I uh, I went to UCLA for undergrad. I as far back as I can remember, I I uh, would go to Cal games because I grew up right there on campus. And even when they had a losing season year over year, my dad and I would still go to the end zone and watch them watch them lose, but we would cheer them on. So I love your connection to football because that's how I found out what colleges to apply for because I had seen a lot of Big Ten football and that's how I started to understand what opportunities were out there. And I remember my first ACT scores were sent to Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan State just because I had heard of their football program. So it's cool to see those connections there. For yourself, though, was a career in engineering something you knew from the beginning before college, or is that something that developed along the way as you figured out what you were passionate about? It's a good question. Uh, I think going into undergrad and growing up with a, a father who was a professor of mechanical engineering, it was the the obvious choice for me, mainly because I used to love watching my dad uncover why things broke. That was his area, was, was material integrity, material science, also then fracture mechanics. And so the apple didn't necessarily fall far from the tree as well. It was kind of the a bit of the, the backup plan. You major in mechanical engineering and then you have a job afterwards and then maybe there were permutations from there um but it really was in grad school uh you know i had graduated from undergrad in a really bad economic 
economic time in 1993. And so continued on in school. And it was actually during that program, I was taking a manufacturing class thinking, let me see what the real world is like. I've been in school for a long time, felt like. And the professor announced that Ford Motor Company was having an internship program in Bordeaux, France. And was anybody interested? And I had grown up in the French speaking part of Switzerland, did high school uh, as well there. And so I, and I had kept up my French during undergrad as well. And so it was this perfect intersection of using something that I was passionate about in terms of my second language. And then as well, my engineering degree to see, okay, three month internship in manufacturing will make me a better engineer. Little did I know that it was going to turn into a, a three or four an assignment and 25 years in the auto industry. Talk about success meeting opportunity and you know preparation meeting opportunity. That intersection there seemed like a pretty cool uh, gig for you. Yeah, no, definitely. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> but yes, good time. I, I, I got lucky. It was a wonderful opportunity because Ford was changing things. They were trying to compete with Toyota, do lean manufacturing. So it was a time of, of a lot of change. And then that set a, a trend for the rest of my career in terms of driving a lot of transformation. That's great. That's great. So, Sean, I know you've had many positions at a variety of notable companies over the years. What can you tell our audience about your early roles and how they established, how they helped you establish really a foundation of you know what we do and what you do in life as you uh, as life goes on? Yeah, no, great question. So, my early days were, uh, I would say. Uh, experiences. I was looking for learning experiences. I was uh, a grad student at Cal, so I had done my undergrad at UCLA and then went straight to my master's at Cal. I seem to be a professional uh, graduate uh, during a, a bad economic cycle where every single degree I've had has pretty much been in the bad economic cycle. So it's easier, it was easier to stay in school. Um, but you know, it was by, by chance that I had an opportunity to uh, do something unconventional as a summer intern. And that turned on a light bulb for me and a three-month internship at a plant with Ford, Ford Motor Company overseas turned into a three-year foreign assignment and 25 years or so in the auto industry and I kept coming back to what ignites me, what excites me and uh, I was able to be part of Ford in a very uh, big time of change. It was called Ford 2000. We were globalizing the company, doing lean manufacturing, trying to compete with Toyota and uh, it was a time of transformation. And that theme of transformation has really been a com constant thread throughout my whole career. That, that's incredible, Shauna. And I'm sure there's all kinds of challenges when it goes through navigating your career in that space. But you're also navigating through different shifts in technology. Can you touch a little bit more on how that those technology changes impacted your career decisions and how you went around your unconventional path? Yeah, good question. Well, I would say that you know, I started my career very much in a traditional sense, uh, Ford Motor Company, manufacturing, then uh, after business school, went to, to Honeywell, where uh, I led engineering for the turbocharger business, engineering and product, and, and really the, the bulk of, of our commercial vehicle turbocharger business, and, and then went into diesel engines and uh, found, you know, the, the, the combination of chemical, chemistry uh, with all of the emissions challenges of exhaust plus all the mechanics of the engine itself and of the turbocharger it was a mechanical engineer's dream job to work in turbocharging and then understand how you improve the fuel efficiency and tailpipe out emissions of a diesel engine 
I think during that time, I was innovating both within a large corporate setting, such as Honeywell, and then in a small company setting, such as a Sequoia-backed, uh, Katie's Power doing novel engine design. Um, but during that time, realizing that hardware is a very long innovation cycle. Mm -hmm. And I was curious to understand what that emerging world of software was. And so that's where I transitioned my career over to software uh, and had the great fortune of working ultimately for Google for about four years, uh, doing a lot of embedded software back into automotive, bringing multiple parts of Google together to deliver a common suite of, of software. So I think the opportunity to hit an innovation cycle, I would advocate for anybody to go after innovation. The thing I've learned though, and looking back is innovation can come from a lot of different places. You don't have to go into software to move quickly and innovate. There is so much exciting work being done still in traditional industry to still continue to push boundaries when it comes to fuel efficiency, air quality emissions, all those important things that we need in the world. There is innovation throughout in materials, in combustion science, in also in thermodynamics, in so many different elements. So, you know, I, I found that that what ignites me and what I enjoy doing can come from a, a number of different flavors. So, Shona, to say that uh, technology has grown leaps and bounds in your career, uh, I know it has in mine. Um, give us uh, some of your thoughts about what AI is about to do in terms of technology. Uh, mm -hmm. I, we live with this every day at ASME, and it's one that I see all of us working a lot smarter, a lot differently, uh, and not harder. Mm -hmm. what, what's, what's been your experience? Yeah, no, I think AI, we're very much in the early days. I feel like it's a new dimension. Whereas in the early 2000s, when the dot-com world, the internet started to become this new opportunity to connect people, connect them to each other, connect them to commerce, connect them to healthcare opportunities, education, et cetera. It, the, the internet, by connecting people, was a, a second dimension. It connected the dots. Now AI, I think, is this third dimension that brings in intelligence into the fundamental layer of the internet. And what we're seeing in terms of simulation technology, digital twin, the ability you know, the ability to do a, a computational fluid dynamics exercise, for example, in analyzing, going back to the engine example, and understanding the, the heat flow transfer within a, a, a cylinder head, for example. That we used to take quite a bit of time to put the model together, try to understand it, run the calculations, run the model, and then empirically solve it. Now there's so much precedent, so much data that can be brought to that same question to solve it so much more efficiently, cheaper and faster. And so with that, it's this level of intelligence that AI brings to the world that will make us much more efficient and bring intelligence to solutions much sooner. I think it's going to transcend all aspects, not just of technology, but of our lives in terms of healthcare, in terms of education. It's it's an exciting precipice that we're on right now. Uh, I would agree with you. You know, we uh, ASME hosted um, Climate Week in New York, and during that uh, conference, I, I learned a statistic that if you look at just decarbonization and the ability for us to use our current tools, our current technology to solve that problem, we might get to fifty percent. To solve the other fifty percent, we have to invent the technology yet, and we see that AI being a, a part of that. You know. I agree that it's dangerous if it's if it's not used correctly. But if you look at the advances, and I date myself a little bit because when I started in the automation side, 
we had a two-dimensional pick-and-place robot. Now everything is in at least at least three, if not five dimensions, and it does anything that you can emulate as a person. You can have a robot do it for you. Um, that's technology in, in, in my way of thinking. And more importantly, how do we drive that technology down into our, into our STEM programs with the uh, tomorrow's engineers, uh, the young ladies and young men that are learning just about what math and science is today? It's To me, it's just an exciting, exciting time. Tom, you bring up a good point in terms of AI and in terms of the importance of having guidelines and a structure a framework by which we use AI. Uh, and to ensure that we don't assume something is real when in fact it's fabricated by, by AI. Or as employees, we know how to use it, when to use it, and when not to use it. Uh, and uh, certainly I, I come across that. I sit on the, the board of directors of a, a large company, Lithia and Driveway. We're a Fortune 150 company, and, and the topic of AI is at the boardroom always, and how we use it, what's the best way to use it, et cetera. So I think in terms of young women and men in school and in early careers, while AI is going to be a helpful tool to help their jobs be easier, it's important for them to also understand the fundamentals of the science, the first principles of how a computational fluid dynamics exercise or analysis is done, down to the first principles of it, rather than just assuming that AI is going to be a tool that solves it for them. And then I think that's how we build that fundamental understanding that's going to be important in the years ahead. I agree with you. Uh, in a crazy way, you know, when I was studying engineering, you know, several hundred years ago in college, um, I decided that I was not going to be I'd become a boring engineer. I was going to learn how to cook. So I took a lot of advanced cooking courses. Hmm. So <clears throat> on Wednesday, uh, before Thanksgiving, I decided I'm going to make a very exotic mushroom souffle. So I got the recipe out, and then I typed that into ChatGPT and asked ChatGPT to enhance the recipe for me. It was an amazing set of results, and oh yes, it was gone. So, <laughs> and it worked and made it better. It did. It did. That's great. So, That's great. I love that example, and it seems like it's becoming more and more part of everyone's daily life. Uh, it's becoming more part of conversation. So, I want to dig deeper, Sean. And you have a background on research and development, and in the automation space. So where do you see things headed? Like what's next in particular in the areas of automotive uh, industry and how that cross sections with the tech industry? Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's fascinating because we're seeing one of the things I, I appreciate about automotive is this, it's a world of intersections. It's art yeah. of the vehicle meets the science of the vehicle or the technology of the vehicle. It's mass markets and people around the world driving vehicles, but then the need to customize to local requirements and local tastes. And so I think what's happening in the world, we see it with EV. You know, I don't see EV as a panacea. I don't think it's going to completely be the only, it's an important vehicle. It's an important technology. I love my EV, but at the same time, I think we're looking for a silver bullet. And I, I, I think we need to be open to lots of, lots of options. And so what I think is happening is a continued proliferation of options for customers. You know, it used to be just the i4, and then it was the V6, and then the V8, and then the turbocharged V6, et cetera, et cetera. And now we have EV, and we have hybrid, we have plug-in hybrid, we have so many different options of powertrains. And so where, so my, my analogy there with respect to AI is that I think AI is allowing people to customize and to tailor what they want for themselves. And so will we AI a vehicle and, and have the perfect optimized vehicle for ourselves? 
you know, there could be some of that in terms of some of the marketing tools that are used or vehicle configuration that's used, certainly. But what that means where the rubber meets the road is actually when you have to physically go build it. And then how do you go do that when you have such a proliferation of options? And right now, some of the challenges that are being faced in the industry are being felt by the OEMs, but also the supply base in a sense that the the per, the, uh, the 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 proliferation the 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 um, the amount what's the volume going to be of some of these new options? So suppliers depend on economies of scale to bring down their costs when they have so much diversity of of product line that they need to go supply. It makes that economy of scale challenging. So the costs are going up, and you'll see that vehicle prices have gotten too high. So the point there is that I feel like there's a bit of storming going on right now. And there will always be a certain level of storming, but right now with such a big movement underway, I do think that ultimately AI will allow us to uh, understand what customers need and tailor our products to those customers, but at the same time, allow the supply base to figure out how do they produce the parts, components at a cost that will scale, but not necessarily at the same volume that they've had before. That's gonna be the challenge. And uh, and I think that's what's being uh, very much a, a topic amongst the automotive industry right now. I love hearing all the behind the scenes of things that as a consumer, sometimes we might take for granted from someone that has so much experience behind it with, uh, with, with your knowledge. It's cool to see what makes that happen and what makes it possible when we go to that dealership and we get to choose from these things. But I feel like students might have that similar experience when they're deciding what they want to do with their future with all of these options and things changing faster than ever and mobility's easier for them to go to different schools or live in different countries so what advice do you have for engineering students that are heading into this world where technology is moving so fast and the education system isn't always keeping up right right i think it's really important to listen to what ignites you what is it that really lights your fire? And every student who has gone, in, gone into engineering has worked hard enough to get into an engineering program, first of all, should realize that there is something that ignites them. There's some reason why they're there. And it's hard. Engineering programs are so hard. Having a career in engineering is extremely hard. But getting back to what ignites you, what really motivates you, but then also where you differentiate is really important. There have been many times of my career where I've done different things, but I've gone back to, well, I really like being around new product development, launching new products, taking that hard, those hard decisions of, of what's needed to be done to either save a company as I've done before or launch the best product as I've also done before. So I've, I've been able to stay true to what I enjoy doing. Um, and I think that's really important to students as they think about their different options. I've been so pleasantly surprised by talking to a number of mechanical engineering students who decide to take the hard road, not the easy road, because it's what they want to do. And I applaud that. So Shauna and Jay, you know, as champions in our field, what do you think we can do to support these young upstarts uh, out there and really excite the uh, excite engineering education? It's going to change as quickly as we do it. So to me, the one word I always use is staying flexible. What do you think? Jay, you want to take the third? Sure. I mean, I think it goes into what you were saying about the hard, but leaning into that and understanding that that's okay. That just because engineering and math and science are difficult, it doesn't mean that you're bad at it. We're just trying to be at the cutting edge 
of whatever it is that you're passionate about. And so if it's never been done before, it's not going to just magically come, right? It's going to take a lot of trial and error and research and development. And so I hope that students will get comfortable with that and understand that if you feel imposter syndrome or if you feel like you're out of your comfort zone, that's actually a really good place to be because that's where innovation happens. That's where all the cool things that we never dreamed up when, or that we may have dreamed up when we were little, but hasn't come to the world yet, can now come to the world if you take uh, the time to learn the math and the science behind the things that you're passionate about. I appreciate that answer, Jay, a lot, because as I look back, when I've had some of the worst imposter syndrome, it's gotten me out of my chair to make a change and realize, okay, why am I doubting myself? Like, why am I not why can't I be here? Why shouldn't I be here? Those self-doubt, those words of self-doubt are holding me back. Are they holding the guy next to me who's blabbing about something that's not as important? He's not holding him back, but he's the one who's actually doing better in his career. So what's wrong? Why am I doing this? So it's been times that I've kicked myself in the pants to say, okay, let me, let me go. And, and, and I'm an equal and I should be an equal. And it's also helped me get back to okay, let me get into and put myself in an environment where I actually also feel that there is a level of support and, and, uh, and that my creativity is being valued. So I appreciate that. I think what I would love to uh, see change for, for the students graduating from engineering programs and getting into their first roles, I would like for the world to understand how massive a trans transformation that is for people to be a student your entire life and then move into a, a paying job is such a transition. And I was fortunate in that I had a summer internship that turned into a summer assignment. I was with a wonderful group of people. We were overseas, but we were like a family. And that eased me into that world so well. But I look at other students, brilliant students, who struggle with that. And, and they may not have had the opportunity uh, because of on-campus recruiting being at a wrong time, or maybe they went to a school that was far away from where they want to live, so they can't participate in local career development opportunities because they're just physically not there. So I think there has to be a change when it comes to the career departments at these universities and how companies recruit kids on campus. Why does an Apple go to UCLA to recruit mechanical engineers? They have their own bandwidth reasons. I can understand that. But why doesn't UCLA allow Northern California graduates to use UC Berkeley's Alumni Association or alumni, local alumni network? It's it's things like that that I think we need to change. And I would love to to help drive some of that change in, in time. Uh, I appreciate the, the conversation, appreciate the advice that you all have, because it's that's what uh, that's what we are going to harness the next few months, next few years in, in, in our industry, especially as we develop technology that was uh, not even thought about yet. I had the opportunity to talk to a dear friend of mine, an executive of, of a Fortune uh, 50 company over the holidays. And one of the things that we talked about, I made the statement that uh, individuals, and he has a granddaughter going into college this year, individuals that are going into college, 50% of the jobs that are going to be available for them have not been invented yet or have not been thought of yet. So that furthers my thought process, and you know, both you and Jay have emphasized that. That yeah, we're on the right track. We just got to keep it going. I say yeah, you can't find uh, people with 15 years of social media experience because that didn't exist back then, right? That's just one example of the many types of roles and jobs that didn't exist 
you know, a couple of years ago, and that's going to continue on. And I think uh, what Shauna was saying earlier is very important for them to just find the areas that they're passionate about and then figure out how you apply your engineering skills and mindset to take on those different challenges, uh, even if they don't always look like the same type of roles. And by nature of being in engineering, we are creating, inventing the next thing and solving problems of why it, why the world works a certain way. So of course we're changing things. So that should be part of the job description and it should be an assumption that change is good. Um, I, I've had many people question my changes and I find, well, you know, I, I embrace risk. I embrace yeah. opportunities and I think the world needs to understand that that's the new normal. I agree with you. You know, I, I la I'm laughing because I'm still trying to figure out. My mother wants to know who ChatGPT was that created the the, the recipe. <laughs> at, 90, <laughs> at 90 years old, I, I'm I'm still having fun with it. But... Tell him I want that recipe. <laughs> <laughs> done, done. Well, guys, thank you. As our conversation wraps up, again, a heartfelt thank you to Shauna and, and to UJ for for spending a few minutes. I do believe we're going to excite a bunch of people with this podcast. And all I can say is my thanks to both of you. Thanks to ASME and really appreciate the opportunity. And thanks, Tom and Shauna. And for everyone listening, don't forget, if you ever want to reach out to us here at Unconventional Engineering, feel free to email us at media at ASME.org. And if you're interested in learning more about ASME, visit ASME.org.